Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Warning. This show contains adult political themes and language. Liberals and little children should cover their ears. Welcome to Liberty Never Sleeps, where negativity never sounded so good. Now here's your host, Thomas Purcell. Good morning and welcome to Liberty Never Sleeps. Make sure to follow the show at our website at libertyneversleeps.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Liberty Tom. And now you can watch the live video feed on Real Liberty Never Sleeps on Facebook.com. Good morning. As you can hear in my voice, I'm back from the dead, but I'm still recovering from what amounted to be a case of influenza. It wasn't just a cold. I must have picked it up at the doctor's office when I went on my vacation to get a checkup. And for those of you who listen to the show, I went to get on my vacation. I went to see the doctor, do a checkup, do all the little things, you know, that I had time to do. And I made the mistake of not immediately coming home and showering. I decided to get something to eat because I had been starving myself for the damn blood test, which I wanted to get done the same day as the exam. I wanted to get all of it done. And so I left the doctor's office and was so friggin' hungry after I got my lab tests because I've been 12 hours, you know, I had to, I had to starve myself. And I went out and got something to eat. A couple worst thing I could do, a couple hamburgers. Because the reason it's bad is because you touch, you pick up the hamburgers with your hands. And I didn't wash. I didn't shower. Ate it down. Felt great. Full stomach. Then all of a sudden, two days later, uh-oh. And I and I jumped on it when as soon as I, I felt that. I was slow, a little slow. And I thought I got sick because I was a little slow. Uh-oh. It was influenza. I tested positive for it. They can test you for it. So anyway... He says, it's got to stay in bed because I wouldn't take the Tamiflu. I wouldn't, you know, take the antibiotic. They give you antibiotics. I go, I'm not taking that. Don't even, I'm not even filled prescription. I'm not going to take that. That's, there's a risk there. There's a risk if you take antibiotics with it. Yeah, there's a risk if you don't. You could get pneumonia. He says, well, if you're not going to do this, in bed, five days, no work, and I don't want to hear you doing that show. So I said, okay. So I didn't. I, I apologize. I couldn't do the show Thursday and Friday. I'm sorry about it. I will make it up at a later date. I do promise that. Anyway, as you can hear, I'm still froggy in my voice, but hopefully the sound will be better because those of you who watch the show on YouTube or on Facebook, because you can watch it there instead of just, or you can watch it on People's Pundit Daily, which carries the show. You see that most of the book casing 
which I was telling you was coming, finally is in, and it's going to improve the sound. Plus, I reoriented the mic in an upward position, and you can't see that. It's down below me. And that will help because it bounces the sound off the back now instead of the floor, which was a floor empty, a room of, of empty stuff anyway. So hopefully it will sound better. I will listen to the podcast later to see how it sounds. But the test uh, tapes that I made sounded okay. Not quite perfect because about 30% of the bookcase is not in. When it comes in, it'll be perfect. That's all I can tell you. And it's going to take six to 10 weeks for it to come back. So I'm hoping, as you can see, the bookcases are in. Some of the facing they still need to assemble because apparently before they face bookcases, the wall needs to flex or to get a reasonable idea of flex of the book. And then they come back and tighten the brackets up and then they put the facing on. They wanted me to load it with books and weight. You know, I said, okay, I can do that. So they installed some of they, the bookcases are done. And then some of the facings done. The they, You could see behind me, the boards, it's going to look like the white house, essentially, you know, the white book casing with column facing, excuse me. <laughs> You'll have to forgive me because I've still got a lot of congestion going on. I think on the break, I'll, I'll take my little uh, John Wayne cold medicine, bourbon. And hopefully that will help because I'm starting to get a cough again. <clears throat> it's just, I'm, I apologize for it. I'm going to have to deal with this for the next week. And they told me, you know, as they said, you got to stay in bed if you're not going to take these medicines because you can get pneumonia. You know, until the fever breaks, they said, then we can go back. Once the fever breaks, then it's just your body has to heal, you know, then you're okay. And since you do sedentary work, it's not going to be an issue. The fever has to break. You cannot leave until, and that's what happened. It only took, it only took a couple of days because I was very aggressive. You know, I did my whole Listerine hydrogen peroxide routine and I didn't get a sore throat. I didn't get a stuffed up nose. I'm getting a little bit now. I think that's allergies though. And he, he said, you know, normally when somebody comes in with uh, the flu, they're completely closed over. You know, they're, they sore throat and you're not. That's why he didn't think it was. He's like, I think he just got a stomach virus. And I said, no, you don't know what I feel like. I mean, I literally could not move. The aches were so bad. He goes, really? Okay, well, it tested me. Sure enough. He said, well, I told him, I said, I rinse out with Listerine and I risk to do this. And he goes, okay, well, that's maybe why, you know. So the good thing is I was able to sleep, right? And that helped me heal faster. The fever broke early. So I'm back from the dead, so to speak. <coughs> I don't know if I'm going to have to edit this or not. It's just, I sound terrible. As you, I mean, you know, I, but believe me, I feel okay. I don't have the aches and pains. I don't have the cramps. I don't have... You know, the sickness where you're staggering along. I, I, you know, this whole thing got in while they were, I was in bed anyway. So it's in, it's in <laughs> finally. I know I've been promising for the last three months that we we've, we've now gone to videotape. We started videotaping the show and showing it on uh, YouTube and, and whatnot uh, in January. And I know I had promised a, a new a studio. Uh, mainly, this is an offshoot of, of we were redecorating the house. And I said, well, if I'm going to redecorate the house, let's do it in a way that I can show, you know, people who watch the show something. I mean, because 
I would get this all the time. Why don't you, why aren't you on YouTube? Why aren't you on video and that sort of thing? Anyway, we had a lot to talk about. A lot happened over the weekend. Mostly Ilan Omar's comment. Some people did something, exploded on social media. I mean, bad. And she had to play a little defense. But I'm going to tell you, I want to talk a little bit about that. Not in the regards that, oh, it's an awful comment. Because everybody talks about that, right? And it's an easy thing to say because it was such a horrific comment. Some people did something. But I want to talk about why it's terrible. <coughs> Excuse me. I really apologize. I want to talk about why not only it's terrible, but also why people think it's terrible. That's important that you understand that too. And it's not that it killed 3,000 people. There's something going on, excuse me, in our culture that people don't understand. We'll be right back after this brief break. (coughs) All right. I'm going to do a little, take a break here, walk away from camera. Take care of myself a little bit. Refill my coffee. Then I'm going to be right back. Then we'll finish the show. As you can tell me, I'm quickly degenerating here. We'll be, I'll be right back in a second. On Omar, while she was addressing Karen, I talked about this last week, but it bears mentioning again. She was addressing a meeting and talking about the group CARE, the Center for Islamic Research. I believe that's what it's called. Doesn't matter. It's not important. You all know what I'm talking about. C-A-I-R. And there was a conversation in which she referred to the 9-11 attacks, the original first one, not the second Benghazi attack. She referred to it as some people did something. There was outrage, of course. 3,000 plus people died on that day. And she made the mistake of not immediately apologizing and saying, hey, that was wrong of me. I shouldn't have lessened the impact of that. I shouldn't have tried to somehow make a political statement when addressing that issue, because that's what a, a representative of Congress should do. You represent not just the people of your district, but you also understand that since you're a federal representative, you in effect have a representative as a, a, a member of state. And so you represent people who have different viewpoints. <clears throat> and so the grew legs when the New York Post decided to make an issue of it. While it was down Thursday, I believe it was Thursday or Friday, they ran a front page paper. Some people did something and shoot the planes flying in the building. And she again tried to defend it. And other people now in the mainstream media have tried to defend her. And people are outraged because of what happened on 9-11, because this is not a person. She represents the Muslim faith that should be making comments that somehow lessen the tragedy. People take offense at that. One of the reasons that MSNBC hosts 
I've been talking about quite a bit. People are saying, well, what she was trying to do was say that the 9-11 attacks were not the, the result of the Muslim religion, that we have been making the mistake of blaming billions of Muslims and blaming the Muslim religion. And that's true to some respect. There's a lot of people out there on the right which have done that. But there have also, people should know, that no one in authority blames the Muslim religion. No president or leader of this country blames the Muslim religion for what happened. What they blame is Islamic extremism, which is a perverted view of, of Islam. And Barack Obama himself said, well, this isn't the Muslim religion, that, that Al-Qaeda, that ISIS doesn't represent them. He, that's, but they, were, they don't know how to say it. And I'm going to tell you how to say it. Islamic fundamentalism is a perversion of the religion. It's an extreme view. And unfortunately, Ilan Omar is making apologies for that extreme version. It's what she's doing. And that's what people are taking offense at. There's also a subtle thing that's going on here that most people are not recognizing. Not the tragedy, not the thousands of people, because the photos are horrific. And they should be. People should be reminded of the horrific day that happened. People felt they never got satisfaction. The replacement World Trade Center is now as tall. There is no victory that people can point to to end this hostility. During World War II, and I'm going to put it in context. During World War II, many people were afraid and fearful of Japanese people. It wasn't because of racism. It was because of the nature of the attack, sneak attack. They were wondering how many other Japanese are feeding back to the homeland information. How many others thinking of another sneak attack? And we went to war with Japan over Pearl Harbor. But America got resolution, got satisfaction. We had the Japanese sign agreements of surrender. There was the evidence of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We developed in the atomic bomb. And once America got satisfaction for Pearl Harbor, then the hostility against Japanese people here in the United States ended. Oh, yeah, there were still some people in culture that still today bear resentments during World War II toward the Japanese people. But by and large, the average American and the, certainly the American government put that aside and America and Japan became the strongest of allies. That hasn't happened with 9-11. There's been no clear victory in Afghanistan. We did not get satisfaction in Iraq. There is no one that we can point to that can say this is a point of victory for the United States. And so there's naturally frustration, anger, anger at the Bush administration for invading Iraq for the first place from a large percentage of the population, me included, because I still don't understand it. A large people don't understand why we're even in Afghanistan, don't think we belong there. We never saw... Osama bin Laden come to trial. We're told he was thrown in the ocean. I believe him. 
not going to start a conspiracy theory, but you understand the American people have not had satisfaction from 9-11. All those people were killed. So when somebody stands up 19 years later, which is a very short period of time, in an, an Islamic garb, a hijab, and says to the America, oh, it was just some people did something. People get angry because people are still mad about 9-11 because they never got satisfaction. They never felt anything got done. They look at the, the, the tower that's there now and they say, but it's not even as tall. It's only one building. It's not quite what it was. That's why I've always said we should have built the World Trade Center back exactly the same, but one story taller. There has been no satisfaction for the American people, despite the millions that have been killed worldwide with Islamic terror. And then, of course, the strikes back at them. And that's what's really going on here. And then she put it all on herself. That's the problem. That's the real reason people are so outraged. Because they never got satisfaction. You know, after World War II, Germany was destroyed. Japan was destroyed. America's got satisfaction. You see the pictures of Berlin. The Nazi war criminals were put on trial and hung or committed suicide. By and large, by 20 years after World War II, 1965, there were few people in America that bear the kind of hostility that people do today against the Muslim religion. And I, people are saying, well, why? Well, it's racism. No, it's not racism. It's because we got satisfaction. The evil people were brought to justice. Their countries were destroyed. America came out on top. That did not happen with 9-11. And it's shameful to the United States that that went on. Shameful. That we went and took a right turn on 9-12. You know, after 9-11 happened, the day after, I'm talking about. The rest of the world said to the United States, you go do what you got to do. And we all, the rest of the world, for instance, said to America, go do what you want to do. We didn't do that. We came up with this kind of, remember what we were told? Well, it's going to be a war like you haven't seen before. And I, I said, what does that mean? We know who the enemy is, Islamic fundamentalism. I assumed, like most people did, there would be a massive invasion of the Middle East. And the president of the United States, President Bush at that time, should have said, no, the problem is Islamic fundamentalism. And the United States is going to take the final resolution and resolve this issue once and for all. It's a cancer on Western civilization. It's been attacking citizens. It's been attacking civilization and attacking Muslims. Since 1979, since the rise of the Ayatollah Khomeini. Since Omar Gaddafi. If you remember, Pan Am, Lockerbie was one of the first attacks. And we didn't do what we had to do because the cost would have been terrible. What was the cost after World War II? What was the cost of the invasion of Europe, of Japan? It was enormous, both to the American people and to the German people and Japanese as well. But what was the solution? What was the end result? America became a superpower. 
Germany and Japan became some of America's strongest allies. It's just like a schoolyard fight. And that same thing would happen had we done what we needed to do. Reinstituted the draft, loaded everybody up on planes, went and got the people that were responsible and restored order to the Middle East. That would have happened, but the cost would have been terrible. Would have been enormous. It might have even gone nuclear. But what would have been the result of that? Assad would have been deposed. Most of these Arabic dictators, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, they would all be gone. Virtually gone. It would not have been war without end, which is what we're facing now. That's the real truth of this. That's what the outrage really is about. It's not directed at Omar. It's not directed at her comment. It's the frustration with the American people with their own government. Frustrated at the fact that they never got satisfaction for 9-11. And when somebody comes out standing in the halls of Congress, dressed in the garb of our attackers, even though she's not one, it lends people to the fact, what did we fight for? Can you imagine after World War II in the 50s, if the state of Minnesota had elected a Japanese person we had gotten no satisfaction. Japan was allowed to keep her armies and navies. We did not drop the bomb, was allowed to keep the territory she captured. And we simply said, no, you're being racist toward Asians. And we have this Japanese representative. And then said, ah, Pearl Harbor was just some people did something. Are you kidding me? And so people don't understand that the real anger is not Islamophobia. It's not racism. It's frustrations over that whole situation. America did not correctly resolve 9-11. We did not do what's necessary, which is stamp out Islamic fundamentalism. Not the Muslim religion. No one is blaming the Muslim religion. At least not anyone in authority. There's always going to be somebody. But they're now painting attacks on Ilan Omar Oh, it's threatening her life. She's gotten death threats. You don't think conservative hosts have gotten death threats? I've been swatted here in my home. You don't think I get threats all the time? It's just you got to deal with it. It's the nature of the job. And a political statement, criticizing one, is not incitement to violence. But I can tell you what is. When she comes out and makes statements that are anti-Semitic, when she comes out and defends what 9-11 was by lessening the pain that people felt. Not just the pain from the attacks, but the pain from the inability to do something about it. That's what people are upset about. That's what everyone's missing here. I don't feel we've very correctly resolved the situation. There are people that still in this country that doubt Osama bin Laden even died. Something's wrong. No one doubts that Goering died. No one doubts what happened to Goebbels, what happened to all those Nazi leaders. No one doubts, well, maybe with Hitler, you want to make a point. No one doubts that the Japanese signed a treaty on the Missouri because the United States made sure it was on TV.
made sure that everyone knew about it, made sure it was signed in public in front of the world. We never did that with Osama bin Laden. That should have been done. Because we tried not to step on people's toes. We don't want to upset the Muslim world. Why not? They didn't seem too concerned about what happened on 9-11. I remember the films. I remember the footage. People in the Middle East cheering. I know what happened. Some sort of resolution had to happen and it never did. That's what this anger is all about. Not just Omar's comments. People like her will come and go. And there's calls for her impeachment too. Oh, we need to get rid of her. Well, that there's a solution to that. The ballot box. If the representative people, the people of Minnesota in that district want that as their leader, they have a right to do so. Another reason why we need to tighten our immigration standards. Who comes into this country? Why they're here? What the goal is? Let's talk about that and the drag leftward for, of the United States. Let's take a break and we'll be right back after this brief message. And we're back. You know, Nancy Pelosi was out talking about it, about a number of things. There was a conversation in which Trump did something politically very astute. They were talking about immigration, talking about the United States. And, and he said, well, if we got to ship people into the country, well, we'll just ship them to sanctuary cities. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quoting directly. We'll just ship in the sanctuary cities. And Nancy Pelosi is like, whoa, wait a second. You're not shipping them to San Francisco. You're not shipping them here. So they do believe that illegal immigration and is a, a bad thing for the United States. Otherwise, she would say, yeah, we're welcome. We want them here. No, she doesn't. She wouldn't react that way. Later on in the conversation, as, the, as it developed, they were talking about how do the far right people in Congress react to that news and relate to this and that. And Nancy said, well, I, and I call her Nancy Pants. That's my favorite term for her. She says, well, hey, the, you know, the, the progressive wing of, of the Democrat Party, the far right, the far left, excuse me. They are only like four or five people. So they're not, it's like no big deal. No big deal. Well, in a sense, she's right. The leadership, the progressive leadership is probably only, is less than a dozen people. I, I don't know if it's four or five, it's less than a dozen that are really far right, left, excuse me. Virus, what are you, what are you going to do? She's right in that. It's a smaller group. But there's quite a few people that are still progressive left and are catering to that. So it's bigger than she realizes or is willing to admit, which may be closer to the truth. The country is being dragged leftward. 
Now, people say, well, people like AOC, people like Rashida Tlaib, people like Omar, these, these people are not representative of the Democrat Party and are not a real factor. That's what Nancy Pelosi was basically arguing. But they said the same thing about the Tea Party. They said the same thing about the far right, which I consider center right, in my opinion. I don't think there's any compromise on that. And nobody counted the Tea Party for anything until all of a sudden the avalanche fell. Nobody counted what was considered the extreme right as being mainstream. And now, in many states, they're a factor. In fact, if you look at the election results in the last 10 to 12 years, you'll find that people more often than not on the right-wing side were successful when they appealed to key issues to the Tea Party, such as immigration, tax reform, and individual rights. That's going to happen with the left, despite what Nancy Pelosi says, despite her protestations. The progressive left, the far left, the extreme left, the AOCs are going to become the mainstream left. And they are going to grow in power. The country is polarizing. Because the right polarized because the left existed. The right wing said, no, no, no. The establishment. We're for this, this, and this. We're amnesty is important to America. And the Tea Party said no and dragged the country, the country rightward. <clears throat> and so the, the left wing is going to do the same with that party. The country is going like this. Two different directions. So when Nancy says that it's only four or five people, she's talking about the most visual or the most well-seen, the most media-liked five people, but the movement is far greater. These kids coming out of college are indoctrinated with the idea of socialism as being some sort of successful economic model. They're in love with the idea that Bernie Sanders might actually be the nominee for the Democrat Party. They are future leaders of this country. The kids that are coming out of Harvard, Yale, and other colleges are completely misinformed about the history of this country, about the history of socialism, about the history of tyranny. They have never experienced life in a socialist culture. They have not been exposed to it in history books. They're completely ignorant of what it actually means. And they are the future leaders of our country both right and left. And the country is being dragged leftward as a result. So when Nancy says it's only four or five people, she's lying to you. I don't believe she believes that. She knows full well what's going on. Our culture and our country is being dragged inexorably down a black hole. This happened in many other cultures around the world. This is why so many countries, even when they have horrible leaders like Hugo Chavez, 
and Ernesto Maduro continue to vote for socialists. They don't recognize that socialism is the problem. In cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, Detroit, these cities have been train wrecked by the disastrous policies of the Democrat Party. And yet they continue to vote for Democrats because our education system has failed the American child and has failed the American people. Their own experiences with a failed state policy, high taxes, strong restrictions, strong government, has led people to think, oh no, what we need is more of it. Since bad government is not working, we need more of it. Instead of the constant and obvious solution, well, we need less of this. And because there are so many people now dependent upon the system they've created, they're afraid. You have entire generations reliant on Medicaid, food stamps, social welfare, other forms of entitlement. I'm not talking about Social Security and Medicare. I'm talking about basic day-to-day things as feeding yourself. There are an entire generation that have been miseducated and now dependent upon government. The drag on our country is going to be impossible to turn around unless unless we make some hard decisions. First step is control fiscal spending. Balanced budget is in order. It is unacceptable to provide a budget that is not balanced at this point. We are taking in more revenues than we have ever taken in before. There is no excuse, none in my opinion, for producing a budget that is in excess of the taxes collected. That's the first step. The next step is to get our education system in order. And that means properly demonstrate and explain to students why a culture dependent upon government handouts is a bankrupt one in the end. Unless that happens, those two things, you can't begin to turn around. And then we have to do something more subtle. We have to build future generations which build self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and a certain taboo about accepting charity from others. That has to happen. There has to be some sort of control, societal control, where the narcissism has to end. Now, usually that happens in a negative way. Adversity is forced upon a people. Famine, plague, uh, war. You know, in the in the greatest generation, it was World War II. The generation before that, it was the Great Depression. Before that, I I guess you could point toward the Civil War. These great calamities built several generations who were used to adversity, used to hard times, and valued the good times when it came. This generation has not had that yet. We have not had a great calamity in this country for some time. You can create it by recreating society at its roots. In other words, building kids that are a little tougher, reintroducing them to dad's belt, 
explaining to them, no, you can't survive on food stamps and other things. That's wrong. It's morally and ethically wrong for a lot of reasons, which I don't have time to go into today's show. These things have to happen. Unless they do, what Nancy is talking about, the four or five people become millions and have become millions. People like Bernie Sanders become the norm. It's not just the Democrats running these extreme people. It's everybody. I don't know if it can be reversed. I don't know if we can do such a thing. It's never happened in human history. Societies have never self-righted. There have been temporary turnarounds. The closest society that I would say is an analogous to America is Rome for a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. Rome turned it around from time to time. They had great emperors who did what I told you. Reforms, reductions in handouts, allowed people to suffer in some way. I know that sounds terrible. Or a great calamity was forced upon them. There are manifest examples of that in history. But adversity breeds better people. And unless people face adversity, they go around falling out of clock towers, taking selfies. As, as horrible as that is, I hate referring to it in that manner, but it needs to be, ha it needs to be done. Kids hanging off buildings, taking their own selfies and dying. We're getting to that point because we've never known hunger. Entire generations have grown up birth to death without knowing hunger. And it has to happen on a societal level. And until that happens, we're going to continue to drag left. We are going to continue to drag left because as people expect things from government, they come to say, well, that's what government is supposed to be for. I've had to correct a number of Republicans here in local government when I point out the flaw in their thinking. No, no, no. It is about reduction in government. No, it's okay to say publicly, no, people have to accept that government is not going to be there for them. We are unwilling to say that as a culture. Government is not there for you. It is not there to protect you. It is not there to service you. It is not there for your needs. It is there as a guiding hand to correct problems that occur, that occur from time to time. It is not there as a guiding force in your life or shouldn't be. And until politicians do that, we're going to continue to get AOCs. We're going to continue to get colleges which turn out rows of idiots. We got to take a break. I got to talk about Julian Assange because this, that's another discussion that has to happen. We'll be right back. Down the road I look and there runs Mary. Hair of gold and lips like cherries. It's good to touch the green, green. Julian Assange was arrested essentially hauled out of the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Now, for those of you who don't know, Ecuador has been hosting Julian Assange 
in their embassy to prevent extradition to the United States and the United Kingdom on a number of charges. There, there's an outstanding charge of assault in Sweden. I don't know what what the, the result of that. I think it's a political you know, accusation, but we'll see. But that's not the real reason he was hauled out. He was hauled out of the, the thing because Ecuador was tired of hosting him. He had been in that facility for about seven years, evading arrests by authorities in the United Kingdom and the United States. He's going to be extradited to the United States, from what I understand, facing a number of charges. The main charge that everyone seems to be talking about is the accusation that he conspired with Chelsea Manning to hack into Defense Department computers and then reveal classified information. Manning, for his part, her part, was arrested, did some time, and President Obama commuted the sentence, which meant still guilty, but the time that he served or she served is enough, and society has had their satisfaction. I don't think so. It's treason. But that's a story for another day. Fact is, Julian Assange is a journalist. He printed information that people didn't want to hear. People didn't want to get out. That's what a journalist does. A journalist digs up a story. Now, the question is, what is the extent of his involvement with the people that provided the information? As a journalist, there has to be this arm's length between you and whoever provides you information. You can't, for instance, tell a person to go out and steal stuff for you. If a thief comes to you and says, here's some information that I got from the Defense Department computers or Defense Department files that America needs to be aware of, that's a leak and reprinting that is legal under American law. First Amendment rights, protection of the freedom of the press. As a journalist, you're insulated and do not have to provide your sources. So this is going to be an interesting case because Julian Assange is accused of plotting. Now, Assange, for his part, is going to have to say, I deny that kind of involvement. And I'm not going to reveal how I got the Podesta emails, how I got these files that Chelsea Manning says he gave to me. If he's smart, because I am protected by freedom of speech laws. I don't have to reveal my sources. They're going to have, for their part, I've got to provide evidence now, really at the bottom of this case, why did Ecuador allow London authorities to enter their embassy, because it's Ecuadorian territory, and extradite Julian Assange? Well, basically, he pissed off his hosts. He started to do stories and news stories about corruption in Ecuador and the Ecuadorian president himself. He released a photo of the president lounging in bed eating lobster for breakfast. That's not a smart thing to do, Julian. They're providing you insulation against authorities and prosecution. You can be a little courteous. That being said, Julian Assange is a pure truth teller. So naturally, he's going to end up dead or in jail. The world doesn't like pure truth tellers. You know, even journalists in major news sources sometimes don't tell a story because public interest isn't served, that it 
damages or kills or injures people. And a journalist doesn't want to do that. They want to get the story, but they don't want to do it at the expense of someone else. Julian Assange didn't give a shit. He prints whatever comes across his desk that he thinks is the truth. There has been no story that has come out on WikiLeaks or any other source from WikiLeaks, which suggests that anything that has been produced has been less than true. No one came out and said, oh, these Podesta emails are completely made up. They're not. They're not. So that's why I refer to Assange as a pure truth teller. Now, what did could be made of the case that Assange conspired with Manning? Well, if Assange and Manning had a conversation where Manning came to Assange and said, I've got some information, and then Assange says, well, I've got to get it. You've got to go in back into the computers and break in. It's not necessarily a violation of law. That conversation was had in the case of the Pentagon Papers, in the case of Deep Throat with the Watergate investigation. Woodward and Bernstein, the first ones to admit, they said to Deep Throat, well, what evidence do you have? Can you get some? That's legal. That's entirely allowed. And the Pentagon Papers case, in which the New York Times, I believe, was sued by the United States government and their man was arrested for hauling a bunch of papers out of the Defense Department files and giving it to the Times, is going to prove very pivotal in the case of Julian Assange. Because in that case, the Supreme Court said, no, wait a second. This information was provided by a third person. And yes, it was illegally obtained. And yes, the New York Times suggested this person should steal it. But that's not necessarily a violation of law. The only person can be held accountable that is the person who stole it. That the freedom of speech laws, the rights of the press, are sacrosanct. It's the First Amendment of the land. It's the first limit on government's power. You cannot prosecute a journalist for telling the truth, no matter how that truth is obtained. Truth is truth. And that's why the case against Assange may be very difficult to prove. It's another Pentagon Papers case. Even if he told Manning. Now, the question is, did Assange give Manning the ability to do that? In other words, hey, here's a code. Here's a hacker that I work with. This is who you go to. Then it's conspiring. Then that's a little different. You know, he named his cat Guccifer. That's the accusation against Assange. There was a, a hacker named Guccifer. And Guccifer maybe is going to be the case where Assange said, oh, this guy, here's a guy who can get into the computers and this is how, the, how it can be done for you. Oh, okay, I'll go do it. That's different. Then you can con convict him of conspiring but my attitude is this, conspiring for what? I don't care if he conspired or not. I'm not going to say Julian Assange is a hero, but I want to know if the American government is spying on me. There are certain things where you have to talk about ethics and then you have to talk about the law. And I, there was a specific case in my personal life, I won't talk about, where sometimes your ethics fails you. Sometimes the crime or the ethics of the crime exceed it. Take, for example, the case of slavery. Abraham Lincoln knew what the law was. The 10th Amendment said the states have a right to determine their own existence. The law was very simple. States could have slave status. 
But Lincoln said, what? No, there's a moral imperative here. That it's wrong, ethically, morally, to enslave another human being. And so we're going to go to war. The fact that the United States government was violating the rights of every American in the country under the Fourth Amendment still stands solid in my memory. Let's talk about what was going on. The intelligence community was using the power vested by the taxpayer and the American voter to spy on other nations against the American citizens themselves. It doesn't matter if it was only metadata. It doesn't matter if it really wasn't. It was just for your protection. The Patriot Act, the Homeland Security, doesn't matter. The Constitution, the Fourth Amendment, doesn't say, well, you can't violate people's privacy, you can't violate people's rights, except in case of national security. No, it doesn't say that. It's explicit. It's firm. And so there's a moral imperative here. Does the American government have a right to monitor its citizens? I say it doesn't. I say the moral imperative exceeds the law that Assange may have broken. Now, Assange was not an American citizen, but there are certain things that we apply to worldwide citizens as well. For instance, when an illegal alien comes to the United States, they have the right of due process. They get the court hearing. The same thing should apply to Assange. If we're going to extradite him to the United States under U.S. law and say, well, he conspired with Chelsea Manning then there's a moral imperative here. The question is, what's the moral imperative? That people were spied on, or was it this other situation where defensive department employees got killed because Assange did something that revealed something that got them killed in the field? That's the case. That was the case against Manning. That's why he went to jail. That's why I think he should have gone to jail too. It wasn't a moral imperative. There may or may not be in the case of Assange. That's what needs to be determined. There certainly wasn't the Podesta emails. That the Democrat Party conspired with Hillary Clinton to fix the election. To basically isolate Bernie Sanders and run him as a stalking horse for Hillary Clinton to win the election in the fall. That's the moral imperative there. We did need to know about that. That is crucial to democracy, that we know what went on, that we know that Hillary Clinton's campaign team conspired with the Democratic Party leadership to provide a fake election to make us think Hillary Clinton was the legitimate winner of the Democrat Party primary. They fixed the primary. And in order for you to decide whether you want that person as a president or not, you have to know that. Otherwise, your decision going forward is unfair. So there was a moral imperative in the case of Podesta emails. It remains to be seen what the actual charges are. We still don't know. Is it the case involving Manning or is it the case involving Podesta emails or is it a general broad case that Assange is somehow doing something illegal, printing these secrets? If it's a broad case, then I say Assange goes free. It's a specific case. That's a little different, but you need to hear the charges. It's going to be an interesting three weeks in the next three weeks that are coming. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. We need to move on. 
I got to talk about Pete Budgig. We'll be right back. Pete Buttgig, Buttgeig, I just call him the Buttgeig because it's easy. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Pete Buttgeig announced that he's officially running for president. I guess nowadays you can run for president and not officially run for president. But Pete Buttgeig said, I'm officially running for president. I think the amount of official Democratic Party nominees is only about seven or eight. Kamala Harris, Cory Booker. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, you know, Joe Biden's not an official running. It's, there's like 18 people who are not officially running. And there's like eight officially. What's, what is that? I guess that's a thing now. Pete Buttigieg basically launched his campaign by basically saying Pence hates homosexuals. The media seems, oh, he's, you know, he's this moderate guy. You know why people think he's moderate? Because he's white and he appears in a moderate suit and he talks moderately. The guy is no moderate. The guy's a hardline communist, just like Michael Dukakis was. Do you remember Michael Dukakis? Michael Dukakis was running against George Bush in 1988. There was no way he could possibly win. You know why? Because Reagan was so successful. It wasn't because Bush was such a great candidate. Nobody really wanted Bush. That's why we got Reagan. But everyone thought after eight years of Reaganism and Reaganomics, they wanted the good times to continue. And they thought George Bush was another Reagan. He wasn't. George Bush was another George Bush, another Rockefeller Republican. We all knew better. We should have known better. But who was offered as an alternative to what they thought was Reagan 2.0. So Michael Dukakis. And Michael Dukakis was given a lot of credibility. He was all American. He was going to bring strength back to America, that he could be just as strong as George Bush, that he could be a Reagan too. Democrats are always successful running as what? Republicans. Even though we know they're not. Dukakis was very far left. He had a lot of different ideas. Those ideas were never really discussed in full. You know the moment that Michael Dukakis lost the election? When he appeared in the tank with that huge helmet. He was a little guy, just like Pete Gutkick. Okay? It's not about homosexuality. It's about policy. And when everyone saw Michael Dukakis with that big helmet, trying to be tough, trying to be something he wasn't. That's the thing people forget. They all remember the helmet. They all remember, oh, how stupid he looked. That's not it. It was the fact that Michael Dukakis came out trying to be something that he's not. And people always recognize that. People recognize when people are phonies. Pete Budgig is phony. He's trying to tell you one thing, but he's another. And that's why he's going to fall down. Now, I don't know who the Democratic nominee is, but the guy's another Dukakis. He's another phony. He says one thing and does another. His entire voting history and his entire background indicates that he's another hardline leftist. 
He's as bad as AOC, this guy. He wants to give everybody free college education. Well, let me ask you. I mean, this is just a one-issue question. You want to give everybody free college education. What happens to the value of something when everybody's got it? How much of a college education do you want to allow people to get? I can go to college forever. I swear to God, if they go to, I swear to you, if they offer, you can go to any school at any time, just get acceptance into whatever university and the government will go pay for it. I'm going back to school. I'm going to go sit on the beach and read chemistry books again and look at hot women. That's what I'm going to spend the rest of my days doing. I've done enough hard work. How is that going to work? You just keep going to school. Is that, I, any details on that? It sounds real good to me. Just go to school. All you got to do is be successful. We'll pay for it. Great. I can figure out a way to scrounge up enough for for a room and a beer. You know, work at a pizzeria again. I could do that. Hell, I'd be a better employee than half these millennials coming out of school. And then spend the rest of my days sitting on the beach, read chemistry book, watching the hot girls go by. Have a pail of beers. Hi, girls. Pass my classes. I could pass most of those classes in my sleep. Then keep changing my major or get a degree and then go back for another degree. Why not? How is that going to work, Pete? Free college education. And what about all the people in debt now? Trillion dollars of debt are outstanding. Did they get just rooked? You know, kind of like the people who, who were told no fish on Friday and then had fish and went to hell. Do they all get pardoned and get sent to heaven now that the Pope said it's okay? How does that work? Or do they just get screwed? Guy's sitting in hell. Man, I'm down here because I ate fish on Friday and that guy's up there and he ate it. What the hell is that all about? Oh, let me tell you. Poke with a bridge fork. How did that work? No details on it. None. Nobody's saying that. What's going to happen to tuition rates? If everything's free. If everything's just government paid for. How is that going to... How, well, why not just charge a million dollars tuition? Hell, the government's going to pay for it. Or is everybody going to be converted? If you're going to education, are you just going to be a public employee? How does that work? No details. None. All they're just doing is free college education. Free, free, free. No details. That's the thing. Another Dukakis. That's what Dukakis did. He had all these ideas about free stuff and stuff. You go back and you look at his campaign and what it was all about. You'll never get any details. What did Dukakis stand for? I don't know. Same thing with Pete Buttigieg. What does Pete Buttigieg stand for? I don't know. Free this, free that. Medicare for all. What does that mean? Who's going to pay for it? How much? You got to ask these questions, man. We're talking about trillions of dollars here. We're talking about society, building our society on some. Don't you think we should have those answers? And everyone, and if you ask those questions in social media, Twitter, whatever, you get shut down hard because they don't want to answer because they can't. Because they realize the stupidity of a comment like free education. It can't work. It's not, it won't work or it couldn't work or the cost is too high. Bullshit. It can't. You can't tell people we're going to provide for your college education because everyone will go get college education. It's just sit in college. Our colleges, our education system is a joke. I can continue to pass it to the day I die, man. Why wouldn't I go back to college in 50 some odd years?
I'd be a fool not to. And then what happens? You get a wall full of degrees, right? And what happens to the degree? Oh, that doesn't mean anything. You, every, you got a PhD, so does everybody else. And we're back to square one. Nobody asked that question. This is why Dukakis 2.0 will fail too. Because the American people are that are smart enough to know that. As many times as I criticize the American people for being dumb, they're not that dumb. They know when they're being had. And he will do something or say something where people will recognize him as a phony if he becomes the nominee. Might come out in the debates, might come out later, might come out in a campaign ad. There'll be some moment when the American people will wake up and go, oh my gosh, there's no way. We'll live with the orange hair freak again. That's what they'll say, even though even the Democrats. That's what they said with Hillary Clinton. Why do you think Trump won? Do you think Trump won because there are that many conservatives in the country? No. It's because a lot of Democrats said, Hillary Clinton, no way. They knew what she was all about. Say nothing of corruption. It wasn't Podesta emails. It wasn't anything. It was one thing. They knew what she was about. They knew she was a phony too. They knew she wanted to be president because she wanted the power. We're out of time. And that will happen again with Pete Budgate. Everyone say Pete, Pete Budgate could be another threat to Donald Trump. No way. They've had four years of success now, man. Just like Reagan. Everyone got four years of Reagan, man. They signed up 48 states. I don't know. What was the, the electoral college victory against Walter Mondale? It was something horrific. It was a no-brainer. There was no way Reagan wasn't going to get a second term. And, and same thing's going to happen with Trump, especially they run somebody like Buttigieg. Metrosexual male little guy, you know. It's not going to impress anybody. You need somebody impressive. I can think of a couple guys that would be a big threat to Donald Trump. I'm not going to say it publicly. Man and woman alike. That I would go, uh-oh, threat. Got to address this one quick. Pete Budgig, forget it. Just like Joe, Joe Biden, another one, nah. Not going to be happening. Bernie Sanders, laughable. America's not ready for a guy with combs his hair with a balloon. Uh-uh. That's not going to happen. We're out of time for today. If you enjoyed the show, donate to the show. Hey, listen, I, I got a couple messages. We have a lot of turnover in Patreon. People who donate for a couple months and stop and start and, and whatnot. Your gift occurs when we receive the money. Okay. And lasts until the end of the month, even if you cancel. That's why people or some people are still getting emails up until like a week or two when I revamped it again. Your, your donation is a pledge to pay, but your benefits start when we actually receive payment, the exception being listening to the Friday shows, okay? And I've gotten that message from a couple of people. How come I'm getting the Friday shows, but I didn't get my gift yet? And vice versa. How come I'm still getting the Friday shows when I, I stopped donating this month? Because when you pledge, that's not when we get the money. We get the money at the first of the month when your money gets billed, your credit card gets billed, okay? Not until then. That's when the gifts go out. The shows, I, I authorize it off ahead of time. What does it cost me to, to give you the show now, right? And then I let your show go because you paid 
last month. You're paid. All right. That's how it works. It's always like a 30 day lag. And we are a crowdfunded show. So, and I, you know, we got thousands of listeners and I, I've only got a handful of donors that rotate around and people come in and out. It's like a revolving door. If you listen to the show and if you value the show, donate $2. We have gifts for the people who donate more. But I'm asking the thousands of listeners to do it too. If I had the two, if I could count on thousands of dollars a month, because we have that many listeners, I could hire people. I could do so much with this show. Trust me when I tell you. I try to prove it every day by giving you more. But we could do so much more. We could send people on, on trips and interviews. I could do interviews. I'm set up now for that. So much more could be here. Just got to get those goals. And I've listed those goals on our site. By the way, I'm going to revamp Patreon's goals. Not going to affect people who donated before or now. I'm going to adjust some of the numbers because the way it works out, uh, I want to be a benefit to everybody. So I'm going to readjust the goals uh, very shortly. So you'll see it. It won't affect anybody except new, new donors. Okay. Anyway, we're out of time. Take care, folks. Have a good one.